hosts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Cheers, cheers. Happy belated St. Patrick's Day to everyone. To me, St. Patrick's Day means corned beef and cabbage, leprechauns, maybe a pot of gold, and plenty of cold beer, which I have in my refrigerator, but not in my portfolio. One of the reasons I don't have these stocks on tap, pun intended, is number one, American beer consumption has been declining. It's down about 2.8% since 2015. And number two, craft brewers are up. Despite consumption being down overall, the craft brewers have seen a near 15% increase in sales during that same period. So what's been happening is the big guys like Molson Coors, symbol TAP, and Anheuser-Busch, InBev, symbol BUD, have been losing share to the smaller brewers while everyone is drinking less. And get this, between 2006 and 2015, overall alcohol sales declined by nearly 15% in states that have legalized medical marijuana. You can imagine that the trend is going to continue as more states legalize not just municipal medicinal marijuana, but recreational too. Overall, you don't really have a strong, I mean, a really strong growing end market. And I love strong growing end markets. And I think each of the big brewers have their own set of challenges. Bud seems over levered, which is why they cut the dividend in half so they could use the cash to pay down the debt that they took on a couple of years ago when they acquired Miller. Molson is restating earnings because of accounting problems for the previous years. Fortunately, these problems don't affect the taste of the product. So I'm stocking up on their beer, not on their stocks. If you did happen to indulge this past weekend, hopefully you use some common sense. And you got a ride coming and going, maybe from one of the ride services like Uber or Lyft. Lyft is planning on becoming a publicly traded company ahead of Uber. They're looking to go public sometime in the second quarter. And Uber is expecting its own IPO to take place sometime in April. And I think it's important for Lyft to be first to market because Uber is much, much bigger and their IPO could crowd out the smaller Lyft shares. Now, Lyft plans on offering almost 31 million shares at a price right now between 62 and 68. And I imagine it'll be oversubscribed, which means it'll be difficult to get any. So most people are going to end up having to buy it after it starts trading. If it's priced at the high end of the range, Lyft will have a total valuation of around $20 billion. And I'm using numbers from Bloomberg. $20 billion in a market cap. Lyft is growing. Last year, they took in $8.1 billion in bookings and made $2.1 billion in revenue. That's over 30 million riders and almost a million drivers. But here's the important part. They don't make money. 
They may eventually, but right now they're burning cash and the IPO gives them more money to burn. This is a speculation. If you plan on diving in, you need to realize that and do it with your eyes wide open. To me, it seems wildly, wildly expensive, even for a speculation. At a $20 billion market cap with a little over $2 billion in revenues, it's going to trade at 10 times revenue with no profits. I'll tell you what, I'll take a ride, but as for the stock, I'm going to sit this one out. Welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman, partner here at the XML Financial Group. So glad you could join me today. What has six commas? The odds of someone having a perfect March Madness bracket. And we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. Speaking of speculation, remember when Bitcoin was a thing? Maybe it still is, but it's lesser of a thing than it was maybe even just a year ago. As a matter of fact, the first U.S. exchange to list Bitcoin futures has pulled the plug on them. The CBOE said in a notice to traders last week that they don't intend to list any additional Bitcoin future contracts. Can you pay for your lift ride with Bitcoin? Well, maybe that was the issue. Last week, the equity markets broke out above its recent trading range, despite some economic releases that continue to surprise on the downside. I've been guessing that that 2,800 level on the S&P 500 has been the line in the sand, that point of resistance. And if it broke it, well, then it would quickly become a line of support. And I think that's where we are now. The, th- the three things I've been concentrating on have been, number one, the Fed. Number two, what I call the resolution. Now it's the China-U.S. trade negotiations. And three, earnings. The first two, the Fed and the resolution, I believe are priced into the market. We know, or we think we know, that the Fed is on hold. The lower interest rates are, the less competition for stocks, meaning investors will pay more for a dollar of earnings. I think it's priced in that things get better on the trade front, or worst case is, is that they don't get any worse. So that leaves earnings. Since the December low, it seems like all the easy money has been made. Now the focus has to be on earnings. If earnings continue to grow, the market should continue to grind higher. Not at the pace that we've seen over the last couple of months, but we should continue to go higher. I said during my annual outlook, I think 3,000 on the S&P 500 by the year end is a reasonable expectation. If I'm right, that implies us being about 6% higher than we are now. The Trump administration's mass fiscal stimulus artificially fueled profit growth last year, both by lowering the corporate tax rate and by encouraging overseas cash reparation, which boosted share buybacks to an all-time record high. Despite 24% earnings growth per share and a trillion dollar in stock buybacks, the S&P ended up last year down 6%. Why? Because it became clear earnings were going to head lower. I think earnings are going to continue to grow, but at a much slower rate. 
we'll likely see them pick up in the back half of this year. Right now, when growth is scarce, investors are looking at sectors that are likely to outgrow the broader market and they'll shy away from the ones that are forecast to trail the broader market. They're going to pay up for growth. Now, on top of the list are the financials and industrial names. And on the bottom of the growth list are the energy and real estate names. I'm not so sure about the energy stocks here. As far as being slow growers and they don't do well, actually, I think they do do well. We've seen the financials spring back to life here. The names I've mentioned over the past year, the Berkshire Hathaways, the U.S. Bank Corps, the Wells Fargo's are all back at decent levels now. And I expect them to continue to grow. But what has continued to surprise me is the lack of participation in the consumer finance names. They, for the most part, have been ranged bound for the better part of the last two years, while growth in consumer credit has been remarkably resilient. At the same time, the spreads that the issuers are making are at an all-time high and charge-offs or loan losses are low. Basically, these folks are incredibly profitable now. With unemployment low and wages growing, I don't see why that doesn't continue. A couple of names that you might want to look at here are Capital One and Discover, symbol COF and DFS. You always need to do your own research. One of the first things they teach you in culinary school is about mise en place. Mise en place. That roughly translates to translates to everything in its place, meaning you have to get everything together, everything chopped and peeled and set up. You have to get all your mise en place together before you start cooking. It's the same thing with investing. You have to make sure you do all your research first before you start buying. You have to read the annual reports. You have to look through the financials. You have to read the research. Dude, you know, you have to get in there. You can't just buy something because you heard it on a podcast or heard a good story on TV. No, no, no. You have to do your mise en place. You have to do your research. My favorite here would be DFS, which is Discover. It's trading around $74, paying about a 2% dividend. I look at it. Loan growth last year was about 7%. And as I said, they're making a good spread on what it costs them for the money and what they lend it out at. It's trading at basically eight or nine times earnings with a good balance sheet, good earnings predictability. I think DFS is worth a look here. Let's step away, take a quick break, and when we'll come back, we'll talk about March Madness and one of my favorite stocks. This is Eric Whiteman for Common Sense Investing, and we are back in just a minute. worked hard. You've saved and invested along the way. Now you want to make sure that all your hard work pays off so you could do what matters most to you, whether it's paying for the kids' college expenses, giving back to your community, or ensuring a safe and comfortable retirement. Now is the time to start planning. Now is the time to get the advice you deserve. We have a team of experienced professionals who can help you navigate the investment landscape. Please call us at 301-770-5200. 
or visit us at www.xmlfg.com. Well, thank you and welcome back to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman. Glad you could give us a listen today. If you enjoy it, if you enjoy the podcast, remember to try and remember to go back and hit the like button or maybe even leave a nice comment. It just makes it easier for other folks to find us. Now, I have one housekeeping item before we get back into it. We've decided to do a series of workshops starting in May. I've had a few people asking me about this when I when I was going to start these up again. We've decided that we're going to get the ball rolling in May after tax season is over and everyone has had a chance to catch their breaths. I'll call them workshops instead of seminars because these are going to be smaller affairs, no more than 20, 25 people. That way, we have time to answer everyone's specific questions. We'll have dinner, we'll do a short talk, and then we'll leave plenty of time for questions. These are going to be on a variety of topics from investing to estate planning to what have you. So in the next couple of weeks, we'll be working out all the details, the where's and the when's. But if you think you might be interested in attending one, just let me know. You can simply email me at podcast, which is plural, podcast at xmlfg.com. Once again, it's podcast at xmlfg.com. And we'll put you on the invite list when we start sending them out. We'll be doing two or three in Maryland and another two or three in Virginia. Again, if you think you might want to come, just send us an email. Today is the first day of spring, staying lighter longer, which is a great thing in my opinion. Spring also brings us March madness. Now, hold up your hand if you've gotten an invite to fill out a bracket. Okay, I can see that that's just about everyone who's listening. According to the American Gaming Association, 47 47 million Americans will place $8.5 billion in total bets. Now, that's twice as many people betting on March Madness than bet on the last Super Bowl. And as of today, the betting favorite is Duke, followed by Gonzaga, Virginia, and Michigan. The long shots are Bradley, Colgate, Gardner-Webb, North Dakota State, all of which are plus 100,000. And if you don't know what that means, well, it just means that they're really, really long shots in the bookie's mind. But let's not forget, the number one seed had never, ever been beaten before until last year when UMBC, the Retrievers, beat the Virginia Cavaliers in their 1-16 and seed matchup. Things only seem impossible until someone does it. I know a lot of you Cavalier fans are going to be sweating out the matchup against UVA and Gardner-Webb, where once again, Virginia, the number one seed, is taking on the 16th seed in Gardner-Webb. So, we're all going to fill out our brackets, knowing our team is going to take the title. Or most likely what we'll do is we'll fill out two brackets, one with our team winning it all and maybe a more realistic bracket. Either way, your chances of getting all the names right are pretty slim. You're not going to get all the games right. The odds vary widely. I've seen different calculations. I've seen them as low as a number that has six commas in it. 
specifically one in 9.2 quintillion. Those are pretty long odds. Two, as high as, this will make you feel optimistic, one in 128 billion. And that's from a professor at DePaul, who I would think has nothing to lose since DePaul didn't make the tournament this year. Anyhow, your chances of having a perfect bracket is pretty darn remote, but you never know. It could be your one in 9.2 quintillion type of day. It's only impossible until someone does it. Me, I'm staying with who I know is going to win it all, the Maryland Terrapins. Let's talk about one of my favorite stocks, Federal Express, symbol uh, FDX. Sorry about that. They report earnings after the close today, which Wednesday. They've grown their earnings by about 16.5% a year on average for the last five years. And it's trading at the cheapest it's been in the last 15 years, significantly below the 15-year average, I might add. And that's because global growth has slowed. The expectations are low here. But here's a couple of ways that FDX plans on growing. January, they raised their base prices almost 5% for both the express and the ground delivery and nearly 6% on the heavy freight. And they've also rolled out Saturday deliveries year-round. Frankly, I don't see much in a way of a catalyst that takes this stock higher in the short term. But with that said, expectations are pretty low here too. So if you're truly a long-term investor, I think you should take a look at FDX. I think this is a better than average company selling for less than the average company. Value Line expects them to earn, oh, uh, about $16 this year. If that's correct, the stock is trading somewhere around 11 times this year's earnings. And the market is trading somewhere around 15 or 16 times earnings. So it's trading significantly below the market. The analysts are also guessing that FedEx earns about $17.70 next year, which if that turns out to be right, the stock is trading at 10 times next year's earnings. No doubt things have slowed down and they're navigating a soft patch. But again, if you're a patient long-term investor, this could be your chance to own a really high quality company at what I think is more than a reasonable price. Value Line gives them an A++ for their balance sheet, high earnings predictability, and a one for safety, which is the highest you can get. Okay, well, it looks like we've run out of time for this week. I need to go and fill out the rest of my March Madness bracket, but we'll be back next week, next Wednesday. And until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow them. Okay, you've listened to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, 
They're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.